Hello, and welcome back to Oral Max Facts. This is your host, Ruthi Patel, here with Mary McBari. So back in 2021, we took a deep dive into Emranj, including risk factors and medical and surgical intervention. If you have not had a chance to listen to this episodes, please check out our episodes 23, 24, 25, and 26. Today's topic is a bit of a spin off of our Emranj series. In this episode, we are going to explore implant treatment in patients taking interzorptive medications. This is one of those sticky situations where there's no black and white answer as to what is a safe thing to do for our patients. Also, let it be known that the studies currently available on this topic are of moderate to weak strength of evidence with inherent bias and limitations, and therefore results must be interpreted in this context. The reason we're exploring this topic is because the association between embryonic and dental implants is still unknown, and it is not clear whether the use of interzeptive medication is a contraindication for the placement of dental implants. As a part of our quality check, our board of advisors have reviewed the script. Our objectives for this episode is to review AMES 2022 position paper, talk about what is implant failure, and discuss what happens if you already have an integrated implant and patient starts on anti-resorptive drugs. Lastly, what is the success rate of implants on patients taking anti-resorptive medication, such as oral bisphosphonates, denosumabs, and IV bisphosphonates? So as you may remember, there are two main groups of bisphosphonates, one with nitrogens and one without. The non-nitrogen-containing bisphosphonates metabolize rapidly. Some of them use in treatment of pageant disease. The nitrogen-containing bisphosphonates are more potent and are not metabolized. AMES recently released a position paper after their 2018 position paper, and some things were modified. The risk of MRAJ is considerably higher in malignancy group, less than 5%, than in osteoporotic group, less than 0.05%. Among cancer patients exposed to zolendronate, the cumulative risk of Emranj clusters in the low single digit of less than 5%, although there's a big range of 0 to 18%. The risk of Emranj among study subjects assigned to placebo group enrolled in the osteoporosis clinical trials ranges from 0 to 0.02%. And if patients were on IV zolendronate, the risk for Emranj is estimated as still less than 0.02%. And that's kind of roughly equals two patients every 10,000 patients. For patients exposed to oral bisphosphonates, Emranj risk is estimated to be less than 0.05%. And that equals five per 10,000 patients. The other two update on the 2022 AMES position paper is that there is not enough evidence supporting utilization of CTX as a marker of risk and prognosis of patients who have used bisphosphonates. But when it comes to implant placement, AMES 22 position paper suggests that if dental implants are placed, informed consent should be provided to include the low risk of Emranj, as well as early and late implant failure. These patients should be placed 
on a regular long-term recall schedule. So going back to our second objective, what is implant failure? What also makes this topic a little confusing is coming to a consensus on implant failure criteria or rather implant success criteria. So the one most common one cited in pretty much all literature is the success criteria of Albrechtson, which was written in 1986. There are five implant success criteria, okay? That an individual unattached implant is immobile when tested clinically. Number two, a radiograph does not present any evidence or peri-implant radiolucency. Number three, there's vertical bone loss should be less than 0.2 millimeters annually after the implant's first year of service. Individual implant performance be characterized by an absence of persistent or irreversible signs and symptoms such as pain, infections, neuropathies, paresthesia, or violation of the mandibular canal. And in context of criteria one to four, a successful rate of 85% at the end of a five-year observation period and 80% at the end of a 10-year period be a minimum criteria for success. There are exhaustive amounts of systematic reviews on this topic, but one thing they all agreed on was that there is no strong evidence-based study out there, and almost all evidence is of low to moderate strength. Mariam, here's a case scenario. A 60-year-old female comes to your office to tell you she's about to start a course of IV bisphosphonate for osteoporosis. You have placed multiple implants in her mandible. She's asking you if she needs to worry about those implants getting loose. And this brings us to a third objective. What happens if you already have an integrated implant and patients start on antiresorptive drugs? There's only one study out there that even tries to answer this question. This small study that was done by Drs. Pogrel and Rugorio involved 11 female patients in whom implant failure occurred several years after successful implant insertion. In each case, the failure occurred after the patient had been placed on an anti-resortive agent for longer than two years. The agents in eight of those cases was Fosomax, in one case was Zolandronate, and in the other two cases, it was the denosumab. No other trigger factors was identified in these patients. In this small study, the only place that they found bone loss was localized around the implant area. Eight out of 11 cases required implant explantation with sequestrum of bone attached to them. Nine cases involved the mandible and two involved the maxilla. Preoperative antibiotics were prescribed in all cases, and there was satisfactory healing following implant removal and debridement. So patients at least should be warned about the possibility that even if they had a dental implant that was successful, after they've been placed on this medication, they should come for a routine checkup. Really, we have finally arrived at the question that is in everyone's mind. What is the success rate of implants on patients taking anti-resorptive medications, whether that medication is oral bisphosphonate or denosumab or IV bisphosphonate? Is there even a difference that we know of? Well, let's see what the literature says. So we found some animal studies and the results were mixed. 
In an animal study that was published in 2011, they studied 24 rats, and the conclusion was that alandronid does not affect the osteointegration. The rats in the bisphosphonate group were subcutaneously injected with alandronid, uh, 5 milligram per kilogram, three times a week for four weeks. Both sides of the maxillary first molars were extracted and customized titanium implants, 1.5 by 2 millimeters, were placed immediately into one side. Rats were then euthanized at 3, 7, 14, or 28 days following surgery. After looking at the histology slides and new bone formation in extraction sockets, bone area around the implant site and bone implant contact were not delayed in the bisphosphonate group. Let's look at another study that was published in 2017 by the same team using the same model with the title of Effects of Alandronit on Bone Remodeling Around Osteointegrated Implants in Rats. The result was otherwise. They injected the rats this time with alandronit after implant placement. The biochemical data, such as serum osteocalcin level, concluded that alandronit might affect bone remodeling activity around osteointegration of implants in a negative way. So, seems like we still have long ways to go to come across some concrete evidence-based data and somehow have to find a way to guide our patients' decision-making and our clinicians' decision-making. That's right. When it comes to denosumab and dental implants, we essentially found no studies on PubMed. But there are some studies on oral bisphosphonates, around 22, and IV bisphosphonate, two studies. So here, we are going to summarize four main articles that have been included in several systematic reviews and meta-analysis. Then, we dive into one systematic review and one meta-analysis. Starting with the prospective clinical study, this one goes back to 2006 by Dr. Jeff Code from University of Pennsylvania. This study was published in International Journal of Oral and Maxillofacial Implants and looked at 50 patients with 210 implants with half the subject receiving oral bisphosphonates. This study was designed to be a single blind longitudinal study with 25 aged match subject with three-year follow-up. Two-stage osteointegrated implants were used in all patients. For outcome measures, they looked at yearly bone loss on radiograph, as well as clinical assessments such as mobility, infection, pain, or osteonecrosis of the jaw. Success was defined, similarly to what was discussed earlier, as less than 2 millimeter of alveolar bone loss over three-year study period, lack of mobility, lack of infection, an absence of pain or osteonecrosis of the jaw. Analysis revealed that 100% of the implants placed in patients receiving bisphosphonates were successful, compared with 99.2% in the group not receiving bisphosphonates. And guess what? There was no significant difference between the two study groups. But of course, the sample size of the study is very low. Another prospective clinical study by Dubay and all was published in the Journal of Osteointegrations in 2020, looking at the rate of implant failure on patients who are taking anti-resorptive medications. In this study, 
26 patients on anti-resorptive therapy received a total of 40 implants. Patients were on alendronate or resendronate, running from 10 months to 4 years, all for osteoporosis. In this study, 9 implants failed to osteointegrate in 6 patients. Interesting finding was that 5 out of 6 patients were on bisphosphonate for less than 4 years. So this is kind of contrary to the study we just discussed because they followed their patients for three years and they didn't see any implant failure. Anyway, back to this study. They concluded that their success rate was 80% on an average follow-up of 42.1 months. The limitation of the study is the small sample size. They also used PRF, allograft, and collagen membrane but did not specify its correlation with implant success or failure. There was also no mention of drug holiday in this study and no control was used. So take it for what it's worth. So that is about it when it comes to prospective clinical studies. Moving down the ladder on the study design, we come to the cross-sectional case series by Drs. Bell and Bell in 2009 JOMS. In this study, they retrospectively investigated 42 patients with a total of 101 implants, taking bisphosphonate anywhere from six months to 11 years prior to implant placement or bone grafting. The parameters they looked at were implant failure, bleeding on probing, pocket depth, height of the ridge, and evidence of embryonage. And Miriam put a joke in there, it says, how deep is your pocket? <laughs> I'm pretty sure you wrote that joke, really. Did not. Really? No. Oh, Did I? I didn't even know what that joke joke means. There's a money reference. Oh, maybe I did. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, thirty of these patients also received bone grafts for either socket preservation, sinus lifts, tunnel graft, or buccal contour graft, making a total of sixty-eight grafting procedures. In this study, the average follow-up period was three years, ranging anywhere from four months to seven years. The success rate in this phosphonate group was 95% in comparison to 96.5% in patients not taking bisphosphonates. Three of the five failed implants were in the posterior maxilla. Of these three, one was in the side of sinus lift and two were in the side of close to sinus lifts. Most failures were noticed within three weeks to five months after placement. No patients examined showed any signs of osteonecrosis of the jaw, and only one patient had two millimeter vertical bone loss. The results of this retrospective analysis show no causal relationship between oral medications containing bisphosphonates and implant failure. Bone graft procedure in these patients were also very successful, and there was only one case of bone graft failure. There are several cohort studies that are questionnaires and partly clinical databases. One of these studies is by Dr. Grant et al. from Montefiore Medical Center, published in 2008 JOMS. In this study, a survey asking about current and past oral bisphosphonate therapy was mailed to patients who had received implant treatment from 1998 to 2006. Of those patients who responded, 115 patients reported taking oral bisphosphonate either before or after implant surgery. 
and 72 out of these 115 patients were seen for a follow-up clinical and radiographic exam. The main duration of oral bisphosphonate therapy was found to be 38 months. 26 patients started oral bisphosphonate therapy after implant surgery and subsequent healing. The remaining 89 patients started bisphosphonate therapy before implant placement. Out of the 89 patients taking oral bisphosphonates prior to surgery, 33 patients reported taking an oral bisphosphonate for more than three years prior to surgery. And the remaining 56 patients reported taking oral bisphosphonates for less than three years prior to dental implant placement. A total of 468 dental implants were placed, out of which 466 implants were found to be successful per Albrechtson and ZAR classification. And there was no evidence of embranche in any of these patients. So to make sense of all these different studies and numbers, we looked at a systematic review and a meta-analysis. A very well-designed systematic review out of Brazil with the title of Impact of Bisphosphonate Therapy on Dental Implant Outcomes has looked at the evidence for success rate of implants on patients who are taking bisphosphonate. This study dissected all the systematic reviews on this topic from 2009 to 2017 quite well. After searching all the online resources and following PRISMA format for screening and selection process, they ended up to include only seven articles out of 251 based on quality and included outcome data points such as reports of implant failure. Only two of the included studies analyzed the survival of implants using meta-analysis. One of these studies is by Eta Ali and al. with the title of What is the Impact of Bisphosphonate Therapy Upon Dental Implant Survival? The other one is by Korkenovic and al. with the title of In Patients Treated with Dental Implants and Taking Bisphosphonates, Compared to those not taking bisphosphonates, what are the outcomes of dental implant failure rates, marginal bone loss, and postoperative infection? The overall average survival rate observed in the groups of patients who had used bisphosphonates was 94.8%. So guys, if you want to read any of these articles we mentioned here, we highly recommend reading the meta-analysis by Stavropoulos et al., in the clinical oral implants research that includes several of the studies that we have mentioned here. This meta-analysis has several great charts that summarize all the studies. The title of the study is The Effect of Anti-Resorptive Drugs on Implant Therapy, Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis. In the majority of studies, oral bisphosphonate was prescribed for osteoporosis treatment. Only two studies reported IV administration of bisphosphonate but no study reported bisphosphonate administration related to malignancies. In general, no significant differences were observed regarding implant loss between cases and controls, and implant success rate ranged for cases from 85.7% to 100%, which was similar to 84.6% to 100% of the controls. Okay, guys, this is it for this episode, but we are not done with this topic. Stay tuned for another episode on this topic where we will further explore impacts of taking bisphosphonate on your implant success. 
If you like our work, please leave us a five-star review and share with your friends. We oh. are looking for more help with our podcast from our listeners. If you're interested in writing a topic for us, or if you want to be involved in any way, please reach out to us on our Instagram or Oral Max Facts. Last but not least, we are here for a good conversation and evidence-based discussion of topics near and dear to all of us. But we are not taking responsibility for your medical decision-making. Okay, until next Adios. time. Bye. Bye.